Greetings and welcome to the worship services of Alamo First Baptist Church. I'm Brother Chris Rigby. I'm standing here this morning in front of our bell. This is the original bell that was at our old location uh, years ago. It uh, was there when the church was first built and it was always a call to worship. Well, when we moved to our new campus here several years ago, we brought it with us. And not too long ago, we got to put it up. We're so excited about it because it reminds us that we're coming together into this building to worship. And we are excited that today you've decided to tune in to our broadcast to worship our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Our prayer this morning is that you will see the great love that Jesus has for you and the great love that we have for you as well this morning as we worship together. We look forward to meeting you and your family and we invite you to be a part of any of our worship services, our activities or ministries here. And if you'd like to get in touch with us, probably the best way to do that is just drop us a line at our email address, alamofirstbaptist at gmail.com. All of it spelled out, just gmail.com, alamofirstbaptist. We look forward this morning to worshiping with you. We pray God's blessings upon you and your family as we go inside now and we worship together. Let's go ring that bell for Jesus.
it always starts with one of those notes. We serve a God of love. Thank you. 
live according to the word of God. They just had it on top. And now the emerging church has got it all figured out. What does authentic Christian mean? How do we recognize it? How can we say, all right, this is real, this is true, but this is false, this is a lie, this is damage? There's a lot of places in the Bible that we go to look for an answer here. And I've chosen one because I think that it gives us a practical guidance. And it also calls us to revive us and refresh our soul. So with that, I want you to look at Colossians chapter 3 and verses 1 through 17. This is just going to be a part that we kind of take apart this morning. As far as what does real authentic Christianity look like? And by the way, if, if the way you think about What they do is try to fight that. One of the things that they do is they study the real thing. They don't study counterfeit. They, they study the real thing. That way, when they see what's false, they recognize it. And so what I want you to do is I want to teach you see the meaning. So that when you see that which is false, you recognize it. And that's what Paul is doing here. Beginning in verse 1. If then you, he's talking to Christians, being raised with Christ, that is born again believers, seek these things, the things that are above, that were in Christ, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are earth, for you are God. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, and then when he comes back, then you will also appear with him in glory. No one's going to need it to worry about. When Christ comes, the church is raptured, you're there too. Put to death, he says, therefore now, what is earthly in you? Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness. He says, this is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, save that you have put off the old self and its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek or Hebrew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, or slave, free. But Christ is missing. All in all, in him, all in all, as one of the slogans for going forward into the church, Christ is all in all in one. In other words, it's all about Jesus this morning. Put on then as God's chosen one, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has complained against another, forgiving each other. The Lord's forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all things, put on love, which binds everything in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called, in one body. Be faithful, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns, spiritual songs, and thanksgiving in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, 
relates to God the Father through Him. I'll give you four marks of Christianity today. Before I do that, I'm going to give you just a section out of the following uh, New Testament commentary. In particular, that deals with verses 1 through 4, because it does set in context something that's very important. Uh, here's what it says. When you think of Colossians 3, particularly 1 through 4, think of it as a hinge between what is the primary doctrinal section of chapter 1 and 2. So if you were studying Colossians, chapter 1 and 2 is a doctrinal section, uh, let's say. But then chapter 3 and 4 are what is the, what, what we would call the primary practical section. How do you do that? So, uh, Colossians is a great book to go back and read about what is authentic Christianity. Verses 1 through 4 is kind of a hinge between those two schemes. These verses conclude the argument against false teachers with further exaltation of, listen, the supremacy of Christ. And they provide the starting point for the alternative to the false teachers with exaltation to make that Christ is central in all areas of life. Now, what does all that say? In other words, as Christians, we are to live the Christ-shaped life. Christ is all and in all. False teachers that corruptly attack the supremacy and sufficiency of Jesus Christ. Dear friend, that's what's happening today. What, what we just talked about, what Dr. Moeller wrote about, what we were talking about in, in the emerging church and the social gospel movement and all of that uh, change that is being forced in, and, and sneaking into the evangelical church today, at the heart of it, the supremacy and the sufficiency of Jesus is being attacked. In other words, what does that mean? They made Jesus less than fully God and attempted to seduce believers into thinking that genuine spirituality is to be found in obtaining a more excellent knowledge or keeping more rules or a new moral order or having some kind of security. But that's today. That's what the commentator says about what was going on in Paul's day. Finally, uh, Andrew Gordon Smith in, in the commentary. Genuine spiritual experience begins with understanding our identification in Christ. The Paul-shaped life is understanding who we are in this Christ. Colossians 3. Is Galatians 2, 20, relates back. We discover our identification in Christ is seen, measured, in, and lived out in our life in this cross shapedness of Christ. So, first point of authentic Christianity will also look like number one here. Real Christianity lives from a different perspective. Now, what I mean. Well, verses 1 and 2. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated, seated at the right hand of God, set your mind on the things above, and not on the things of the earth. Two things. Our ambition ought to be a heavenly one. Let me ask you a simple question. Do you see what heaven stewards? Put to you this way. If you get up tomorrow morning, I mean, you wash, you sleep, how do you rise? You brush your teeth, you cross your head, and you go to bed. 
you look at the mirror, and you begin to set forth in your mind to focus on the day of night. Is your mind on the day of night? Is your mind on the day of night? Or is your mind on the day of night? You want to find it. That word is set in the Jewish word. It definitely means to seek something out, to desire, to possess it. I read this somewhere along the road. I don't give credit to this at all. It makes me need to quote. Most Americans today spend, most Americans today spend, not because of any real need, but for the purpose of not living. Most Americans, I guess that's you and I, we spend money not for the stuff we really need, but things we want to identify with, or we want to identify with. Is our mind focused on what God wants from us? How do we set our minds in the heavens or the earth? And the way that we answer that question will largely determine the direction of our lives. Either we're going to live our life to the glory of God, or we're going to live it to our own glory. Jesus taught us to pray, not what my will be done, but what will be done. Jesus taught us to pray, give us today this day our daily bread. That statement in and of itself is set on a heavenly mindset. It, it's, it's a thought. Of looking for heaven and saying, today give me what you would give me, God. It, 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 it isn't just an ambition that's set for heaven, it's also an affection that is a heavenly one. This might surprise you, and at first you might go, oh, well, he didn't say that, but he left it off and say it. It's okay to love God. Don't say that again. It is okay to love money. No amen tonight. Let me ask you something. If you find out that somebody took $20 out of your checking account, you call the bank for money? It's about to get to you. I'm going to say it again. It's okay to love money. Amen? You love your money. I know you do. And dear friend, it is okay to love money if you see money as a means to get God's glory. If your money, your possessions, whatever you have been blessed with, have been given to God, it's all right to appreciate those things and love those things and treasure those things. We serve, listen, God, not to get from God, but I do know this, that we serve God and we can't outgive God. And if I take what God has given to me and I give it to Him, God is going to give multiples back to me out of the blessings of this life. Real Christianity, do you hear what I'm saying? It's lived out with a love towards the heavenly family. And it's okay to love your family. It's okay to love uh, uh, a career. It's okay to, to love a house or a car or clothes or, 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 or a bank account or a retirement. It's okay. 
But I love for those things because those represent blessings from God. And if those things are scripturally God, then you must look at a river of blessings by which God can bless others for you. But when you bring to those things, hold those things, and those things become the gospel of the life of God, you see, that's what Satan does. He always wants to push you to the edge of the game. He'll take something that God says is good, and he'll say, I can make it good. But before you go, If you've gotten them free, your life has been with Christ in God, and Christ lives in your life, and here's the deal. Uh, you will hear the voice of heaven from glory. Two things to Our life is good with Christ. So today, the world wants a revolutionary concept. And then particularly, when you talk about the Christian faith, the world wants a revolutionary concept in Christianity. The difference that I tell you, if you want revolution, a revolutionary concept, there's nothing more revolutionary than what verse 3 says. That our life is good with Christ. Where do you read that in Luke? Where do you read anything like that in any other uh, written word? You're dead. And you're hidden. You're in Christ. And Christ is you. But what is it to me? You know what it means, though? To me, I, I heard this somewhere and I think it's true that it means we're beyond the reach of sin, Satan, and Satan. To be hidden in Christ and Christ in me means that I'm beyond the reach of sin. It means I'm living my life beyond the reach of even myself. Because I'm telling you, it means that I'm beyond the reach of sin. He can't get his grace on me and do his will in me. Because I'm, I'm in a different position. Today, the question of Christianity are, says our sin nature, our human nature, can't be changed. Therefore, the Bible must somehow find a way to excuse what it has said as well. We've got to look through the Word of God. And, and, and what the Bible has said in the past is sin, we, we have to dismiss. Because, after all, we're human and we ought to be allowed to be human and be happy. For example, same-sex that needs to be dismissed as a sin in the Bible. Someone says, well, it's not fair someone that's born a certain way that might have the same sex attraction and might feel something and want something wholesome and good in the way that others have had it in a, in a biblical view. It shouldn't be wrong. Listen, verse 3 says, the power of Christ has the power to change. Totally. We've passed from death to life. We've been buried in the grave of God's forgiveness and raised in the newness of life. Our life hidden in Christ. We are forgiven. Our life is hidden. But Christ's life is revealed. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So you're telling me that Christ can't overcome sin? That Christ can't overcome my sin nature? That Christ cannot overcome my earthly passion? He's done it before. Why can he do it again? If he's truly living in me, 
We don't live a life that counts. We live a life that shares. And as a new Christian, as a, a, a person who's got a new life, we give a new life for us. We have to know that's Christ. Christ is the same though to the devil. It's the truth word. We have Christ who has the power to overcome sin. We have not only Christ, but the Holy Spirit. So don't tell me that a person can become saved and not change. No matter how hard that change might be. My heart can go out to someone who struggles in anything. But Christ has the power to listen. Life, even where there is trouble. Christ has the power to give joy unspeakable, even where there is temptation unspeakable. Listen to what Peter says, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 through 5. His divine power has granted to us all the things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him, who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of the sinful desires. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge. You know what that passage is saying? Where we don't think we can, God says, I know I can. There's two great truths that Second Peter promises us. First, the knowledge of God. Theologian J.I. Packer wrote a beautiful book years ago called The Knowledge of God, the Holy Spirit. In it, he says that to lead us to the kind of church that Peter's writing about. Uh, here's what he says. What we will what we were made for to know God. What age should we set ourselves for to know God? What is the eternal life that Jesus gives? Not a good thing. John chapter 3, verse 3. This is life eternal. That they may know thee, the only true God, in Jesus Christ and thou Son. What is the best thing in life? Bringing more joy, delight, contentment than anything else. Pastor says, the knowledge of God. Jeremiah 9, 23. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man glory as wisdom. Neither let the, the mighty man glory in his might, let the rich man glory in his riches, but let him that glory in this, that he understands the limitations. Of all the, what, what of all the space God ever sees in man gives him those pleasures? I could ask. No gentler is the knowledge of God. Hosea 6 says, I will like the knowledge of God more than the birth of then listen to what Titus says here. Once you become aware that the main business that you are here for is to know God, most life forms fall into place. And we're almost done. Let's say that again. Once you become aware that the main purpose is to know God, then most everything else in life, particularly the problems, fall into place. You see, we get distracted. We get distracted to other things. We 
need to know God. And when we really know God, listen, those thoughts, sin, desire, temptation, begin to take care of themselves. But today, the false faith says what? You just get okay with being who you are, and then you can let God okay with you. Here's the Bible says you get okay with God. Do I still stand as a Christian? Thanks to God, I know that God is saying that I'm doing it. But I said, I'm not doing it. I still stand. I still come short. But I can say that there's a difference. Thank you. 
going to be up there, you know, in the doctor said, he wants you to get that. And he was not to do it. He was not to do it in the doctor said. You know what? That happens. Today, what I do think about, get all of the energy of Christian life and put it right into action. And the old things creep back in. And they find themselves in that It's living from a different place. That means, folks, you got to stay in the Bible. you got to be in church. you gotta, you got to be committed for a purpose. For Christ says, the fruit that lives now is laid in the feet of the Lord. Give me a point there. Real Christianity lives life from a different feet. Verse 15 through 17. And, uh, man, as we talk about a Let the peace of Christ dwell in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in your teaching, teaching and admonishing one another, greatly solved, singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs and thanksgiving to the Lord. And whatever you do, the word of these great things in the name of the Lord Jesus to be thanked to God through the Father. Committing them to Christ. And not only committing them to Christ, but committing them to the visible body of Christ. A dozen of those words here, you find them pulling you, yay, But the entire church life begins here by God. A local church is simply a collective community. Each one born from above, each one is led by the Holy Spirit. I'm going to drop the mic and I'll wait for the family. 
The local church is a real advocate, some total of the spiritual experience, spirit, maturity, gifts, and the benefits of all its members. We all get each other. We will always get it right. May I ask you a question? If every member in the church was just like you, what kind of church would it be? Would it be a truly God honoring church? Would it be a church that praises God the way God wants to be praised? Could it pay its bills? Would it win the loss? Could it comfort the hurting? Would it run off more people than it brings in? Grace Stanton, I told you about the idea. If you look at Phil Pumpkin's Christianity, I saw the preview of the phone and I was Kindle, read it, I loved it, saw it all. So I can't. Here's what he said It is always so this book is written in 
We pray God's blessings upon you as you worship with us today. If God has led you to make a decision today for Jesus, we would love to hear about it. We invite you to come to our website, cometothecross.net. Our online decision card will allow you to tell us about the decision that you're making. All decisions, all contacts are kept private and are confidential. However, we would be able to pray for you and perhaps I'd even be able to call you and pray with you about what God has led you to do if you so desire. So fill out the form, let us know, and just know that we love you and God loves you, and we're excited that you're taking this first step for God today.